Hello, and welcome back to our Becoming Resilient podcast, focused on Kimley Horn's approach to community readiness and resiliency. On today's episode, we expand on our conversation from episode five by discussing how resiliency plays into the water and wastewater utilities market. We are joined by three water resources engineers who collectively have more than 60 years of experience. Chip Votaba from our Virginia Beach office, Chris Igo from our Fort Worth office, and Chris Neferatis from our St. Petersburg office. Happy to have you all here, and let's get started. So Chris N, I'd like to start with you. Um, could you talk a little bit about your professional background and what resiliency means to you when talking about water and wastewater utilities? So uh, my professional background uh, is working both uh, nationally and internationally uh, in, in the field of resilience. Um, and that is quite a broad topic, uh, depending upon where you are. It can mean a lot of different things for a lot of different people, um, even geography. So right, that could be coastal flooding, it could be um, impacts of uh, fires out west. It could be uh, wet weather uh, in the northeast, uh, looking at droughts and uh, how all that impacts the utility. So simply put, resilience is really what you want it to be. And we can think of it as uh, resilience means planning for an uncertain future, certainly with respect at looking at critical infrastructure at water and wastewater utilities and understanding how resilient we can make those utilities to shocks, uh, which are sharp, sudden events that impact us, such as hurricanes or floods and stresses. These affect us on a chronic or daily basis, such as sea level rise, heat, droughts and inadequately sized infrastructure. And these are systematic uh, throughout the US. Chip, how about for you um, up in Virginia Beach? Sure, well, I do planning and uh, design for water and wastewater systems, collection and distribution systems. Uh, we're here located along the coast um, and in fairly urban and suburban areas with centralized water and sewer systems. So, of course, I've been uh, through design work. You, know, you incorporate things such as uh, pumping redundancy or power redundancy in some of our uh, design plans. But early on in my career, I got involved in uh, dealing with an after-action um, reporting um, for uh, a hurricane that came by and really created some damage to this area and wiped out uh, power for large portions. And in the city of Virginia Beach here, they lost power to close to 90% of their water and wastewater pump stations, uh, which equated to over 350 um, pumping facilities. And so understanding uh, what challenges the utilities had to uh, respond to those widespread outages um, really had an impact on my career. You know, looked at not only uh, how is power restored, but how are uh, operators getting to these facilities with downed trees or flooded roads or down power lines. And so uh, it gave me a great understanding of um, how we might improve some of the designs that we're working on and also how we might work with utilities to establish planning for response uh, response plans for uh, dealing with uh, various types of um, emergency situations that they might be faced with. And Chris, I, how about for you? Yeah, thanks, Derek. Um, yeah, for me, I, I've mostly worked here in the, the North Texas region uh, for uh, area municipalities and, and water providers, uh, mostly in the, the water and wastewater uh, pipeline transmission and conveyance uh, distribution systems. I've done some uh, lift stations and pumping uh, water pump stations, 
um, but have also been in some staff augmentation roles and working closely with with city staff and and uh, operations staff and, and so really have, have uh, appreciated the ability to to think like an owner um, so that's that's been a, a good um, uh, experience for me to kind of think about resilience uh, from an owner from a utility perspective and so when I you know hear the word resilience and um, what what does that mean to a drinking water system or to a wastewater provider? Um, I, I like to think of it as, you know, how does the utility continue to provide their mission statement to their customers? And, and so that's a little bit of an odd uh, phrase, but for example, here in Fort Worth, their, their mission statement is the Fort Worth Water Department is responsible for providing safe and reliable water and wastewater service with environmental integrity. So when I hear those words safe and reliable, that that's resilience uh, to me is how does um, Fort Worth Water Department provide, continue to provide that safe and reliable water service to their customers on good days and on, on bad days when unforeseen events can and, and often do happen. So uh, for me um, here in the North Texas region, kind of a, a local perspective is there was you know big concern for uh, water shortages in the 2010-2011 timeframe with some pretty severe droughts and some dry seasons that we'd been experiencing. So this, of course, kicked off lots of planning efforts and emergency projects and unique delivery methods, reuse water projects. Uh, and then, of course, we, we hit some record rainfalls in 2014 and in 2015. And, and some of those concerns uh, maybe faded to the background a little bit, maybe not amongst uh, utility owners themselves, but maybe their their cities and councils and, and other uh, players uh, who who help uh, in that realm. And so, uh, yeah, with, with that being said, uh, resiliency, it, it means to continue on in that planning, thinking, engaging about that looming crisis, you know, ha adopting a preparedness culture uh, as a utility, as a city, you know, so that you're able to to weather that emergency. Uh, no, no, no pun intended there. <laughs> Thank you for that one. Um, so I'd like to take a step back here, and Chris and I'll go to you first. Could you provide a brief history of what risk and resiliency management has looked like in the water utilities market? Sure. When we think of uh, risk and resiliency management in our utilities market, some of our most progressive utilities have been doing this uh, for some period of time. Perhaps um, some of them are within a decade's worth of planning and conducting uh, these evaluations and uh, management and managing their assets. But a lot of what we've learned uh, in our sector has come across from overseas where uh, the industry is privatized uh, in some countries, where the water industry is privatized, looking at things, uh, the whole uh, the whole uh, enterprise of the portfolio of the utility, looking at the impacts of sea level rise, storm intensification, and uh, building that in with damaged curves to understand uh, what assets will be at risk and when should they be replaced and or hardened. So some great opportunity, some great things that we've leveraged from overseas, uh, looking at things from a Monte Carlo analysis and really just uh, informed decision-making for our utilities. And of course, right, international solutions are, are great, some good things, some key points, but not all of them translate to 
our areas and our geographies here in the states. So being able to pick and choose from that and leveraging our own G2NR utilities to help us optimize our investments is really, some of that is really getting some really good groundswell. It's we're no longer the days of, oh, I just do water and wastewater and that's it. Those days are over. Uh, it's more of a total one water approach, looking at the impacts of uh, things such as resilience, such as uh, such as floods, shocks and stresses, and really helping to survive, helping our communities to survive, adapt and grow when these uh, shocks and stresses occur. That's good. That's good. And Chris, I, I know you had some historical perspective you wanted to share on this as well. Yeah, just kind of taking a, a high level 30,000 foot view of, you know, just here in America, where, how did we get to where we are today and just kind of fly through a few decades of history. So, uh, hope you hope you enjoy history as, as much as I do. But um, it, I just start with at a very high level. I mean, water security has especially been on the radar uh, really since the beginning of beginning stages of World War II. I mean, when you have J. Edgar Hoover, you know, FBI director saying, you know, water supply facilities offer a particularly vulnerable point of attack to the foreign agent. So that taking that kind of mindset. Um, and really developing it and hardening it, especially during the Cold War uh, years of protecting ourselves and our critical infrastructure from an enemy attack. It really was uh, an important um, point in history and, and allowed us to uh, harden a lot of our pieces of infrastructure that we have. So then, of, of course, fast forwarding a few decades, uh, you, you come in contact with several large pieces of legislation uh, thinking specifically of the Safe Drinking Water Act in the 60s and 70s and other uh, really broad sweeping, really good legislation to protect our water uh, resources. So kind of moving uh, into the 70s, one of the first comprehensive standards in regards to water resiliency uh, was the development of the AWWA M19 Emergency Planning for Water and Wastewater Utilities. Uh, and that, that came out in 1973, and it's, it's since been uh, updated, and it's actually in its fifth edition today that just came out um, a, a few years ago. So again, going from the 70s, kind of fast-forwarding again a few decades, um, even though I was uh, pretty young in, in 2001, uh, I knew that there would be broad changes in the way society thinks and operates. Uh, really, with the, the attacks that occurred on September 11th, 2001, it, it did change the way many uh, drinking water utilities think about resiliency and redundancy to their systems. And of course, you had legislation passed in 2002, the Bioterrorism Act, which required utilities to perform vulnerability assessments and emergency response plans. Um, but they were kind of a, you know, a one and done. You perform it, uh, you submit it to the EPA, and, and you kind of leave it there. Uh, you may update it if there's major changes, but that was kind of uh, what it was intended for. Uh, again, fast forwarding a few years, you've got Hurricane Katrina, which made landfall in 2005, and it, it really was eye-opening with the amount of damage uh, that it um, had, not only on you know the, uh, the state of Louisiana and surrounding area, areas, but specifically to, to drinking water systems and, and wastewater providers. And so really, utilities continue to see a greater need to protect against these natural uh, hazards, and, and some of them increasingly so. That, that seem to come around more often. And then 
in 2010, again, some more advances in the standards uh, with AWWA's J100 risk assessment methodology. Um, and that allows for utilities to take a straightforward approach. It's a seven-step process to analyze their systems um, for risks from both malevolent terroristic type attacks as well as natural or even accidental hazards that could occur to your system. And so that kind of flies through uh, decades uh, of history there, but it kind of gets us to where we are or even were uh, in 2018. Yeah, I, I think that's a great history lesson, and thank you for that. So let me stick with you because I'm sure you haven't talked enough in the past minute. Uh, <laughs> is there a certain regulatory framework that clients need to work within currently? Well, I'm glad you asked, Derek, uh, because there there is, and um, it's something that's it's been on people's radar again, like I said, since 2018. Um, but there was federal legislation passed in October of 2018, uh, the America's Water Infrastructure Act. Um, and along with that, there were uh, there are other um, updates to Safe Drinking Water Acts, um, very important pieces of legislation that got passed. Um, but one of the, the main pieces of legislation uh, in the AWIA uh, was for all drinking water systems uh, that serve a population greater than 3,300 people shall conduct an assessment to the risks and resilience of its system. And, and, and really, um, that is what has kicked off this kind of current legislative framework that we find ourselves in. So not only are, are drinking water utilities, uh, again, um, there's, there's over 8,000 drinking water utilities that, that serve populations of 3,300 and up, um, are required to perform a risk and resilience assessment to their systems. And it's, again, there's a lot of tools and resources out there to help utilities think about these things and, and method, methodologies and, and processes uh, to go through a risk and resilience assessment to their system. And once you get through that uh, process and analyze uh, the risks, um, not only, again, natural hazards, but um, terroristic malevolent events, uh, as well as even accidental hazards, comprehensive review of your system, uh, you're then six months later uh, required to perform uh, an emergency response plan that, uh, again, it's not something that's new. Um, cities and utilities have been required to have emergency response plans since 2002, um, but this emergency response plan now has to speak to that risk and resilience assessment and speak to mitigation efforts that, uh, that your utility will enact uh, in the event of an event, um, how you can respond and react to um, some sort of malevolent attack on your system. And so uh, most of the larger utilities have already completed their risk and resilience assessments. And then you've got your midsize, that's 50,000 people to 100,000 people served. Mid-range cities, their risk assessments are due at the end of this year. And then you've got the largest amount of drinking water utilities where their risk and resilience assessment is actually due in June of 2021. So you, you still have thousands of utilities who um, need to know about this legislation and need to respond to it um, because it is something that uh, the EPA has stressed that, you know, there, there are, you know, fines for not completing this, that they don't like to talk about it, but they really want to see, you know, these drinking water systems become more resilient in, in how they provide safe and reliable water to their customers. 
That sounds good. So, Chris N., I know you have some state-level legislation experience you'd like to share with us. Yes, uh, with respect to Florida, um, uh, where our geographic location and our um, uh, our exposure to uh, extreme heat and humidity uh, presents challenges for us, certainly in our coastal communities. So recently, uh, we have legislation within the state that's going to require cooperators on uh, cost share projects in vulnerable areas to conduct uh, sea level impact projection, really just helping those communities that are at risk to understand what would be required and what strategies would need to be in place such that we can uh, sustain and maintain the utility. So that's something that's being uh, the rulemaking for that hasn't yet to start, but will be coming into play here as we move into uh, 2021 and really just helping uh, us to, as a utility, uh, have some really good stewardship of our assets, how they're managed uh, looking towards the future uh, with those uh, shocks and stresses that occur. So looking towards the future, like you just said, Chris, and I'll, I'll stick with you here for the last question that we have, what next steps would you recommend to clients who have already gone through the AWEA process? The AWEA process is a great tool. It really gives a great benchmark of uh, where the utility is at and where it should go. So opportunities to go a little bit more granular, look at those assets and identify those through vulnerability assessments that develop of paired asset threats, focusing on those assets that are uh, the most at risk because of their criticality. Um, and, and defining that criticality is certainly ways uh, for utilities to further uh, develop capital improvement plans, looking at things that could be uh, cost shared as appropriate and really blending strategies that integrate uh, hardening or gray infrastructure and coupling that with uh, green infrastructure as opportunities uh, present themselves. I know I said earlier in the podcast, it's not it's not your father's water and wastewater utility. It's not just that's all we do. It's looking at a one water approach and helping set yourself up for uh, success in the future. That sounds good. Chris, I, how about for you? Yeah, I would, I would just add, you know, now that the federal legislation has required you to go through this process of performing a risk and resilience assessment, um, you know, I don't always like being told what to do, but there, it really is a good uh, piece of legislation um, for utilities to just take a step back and see what are our biggest risks and where can we add resilience to our system. So now, now that you've gone through that process, yeah, where, where do you go from here? So we, we've done the planning, um, you, you assign some dollars to it, um, now start to budget for it try to, to integrate and implement um, those, those steps and tools and, and mitigation steps. Um, put it in your CIP, you know, plan, you know, get funding for it. There, there is uh, some funding available for certain um, hardening of your systems um, through federal legislation. Uh, it's often applied uh, for through, through grants, um, but there, there is legislation available to, to make your systems more resilient. So, uh, look for those opportunities, budget for them. Uh, the other things I would say is um, really develop uh, key partnerships. I'm talking, you know, just within your own community. 
uh, across the city with your, your public works groups and your, your transportation agency. Um, really think about it as partnering. Everybody is in this together due to some event that's occurred in our community. How do we come together so that we can all be resilient through this together? And then I would, I would say training is, is a, a key step um, for the next few years. Um, train your staff. Um, there, there's opportunities for, for people to come in and, and train for different uh, incident-specific scenarios. Um, but just make sure that, that your staff uh, knows what, to ha what has to happen in the event of a specific uh, incident. And so I, all that being said is that this is now something that's required to be submitted on every five years. So utilities are um, going to be having to think about this on a um, every five year basis. And so I think during those five years, the planning, budgeting, partnering and, and training is going to be key uh, to sustain those those five years. Excellent. And Chip, you get the last word on next steps that you'd recommend for clients. Yeah, certainly. So. Um, once you have the response plans, and as, as Chris, I was talking about training your staff becomes important, making sure that you have realistic um, uh, approaches so that you can respond to uh, issues that arise in your system. And a lot of the response planning actions are at the individual utility level. But again, want to emphasize a lot of these types of situations when they do occur will occur at more of a regional level. And so making sure that that network is established as well, not only with other nearby uh, water, wastewater utilities, uh, but knowing how your uh, power and gas utilities are going to be responding to them. They have to be out there in the same, dealing with some of the same issues that you may have to be dealing with as a utility. Same with Department of Transportation, or certainly in our area of uh, the country here in Virginia, uh, military bases and such. They all have a role to play in this. And so you'll be much more successful in making sure that you reach out and are able to establish that communication network uh, so that you can more effectively respond to um, emergency actions and, and have an overall uh, uh, better uh, resiliency um, plan, mitigation plan to, uh, to put into place. Excellent. Well, thank you, Chip, Chris, and Chris for being with us today. And thank you all for listening. We hope you join us next time as we continue our conversations on resiliency.